Welcome to Writing Westward. I'm your host, Brendan Rensink. Mainstream American society's understandings of who Native peoples are tend to be monolithic, overgeneralized, and often based in stereotypes perpetuated by old Western films, novels, and the like. In recent years, many Natives have been using their voices in art, film, literature, and public discourse to correct misconceptions and assert their presence as diverse, real peoples, refusing to sit passively as others ignore, misrepresent, or culturally appropriate their identities. Writer Tiffany Midge adds to the chorus of these voices with her poetry, essays, and humor. Today, we talk with her about her new collection, Bury My Heart at Chuck E. Cheese's. Thanks for listening. For new listeners, let me take a quick moment to explain a bit about the podcast. Each episode features a conversation with authors, journalists, novelists, poets, scientists, academics, or others who write about the North American West. Our goal is not only showcase their work, but to spark curiosity among you, the listeners, to think more deeply about the region, its lands and environments, and the histories and experiences of the people who call it home. If a writer intrigues you, you can find links to their work in the show notes or at writingwestward.org. And if you have a moment, please do subscribe, share links with friends, leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're using to listen, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and send in some feedback. Writing Westward is supported by the Charles Red Center for Western Studies at Brigham Young University, where I, Brendan Rensink, serve as Associate Director and an Associate Professor of History. For better or worse, this is a one-man operation, with me playing the roles of host, producer, sound engineer, and just about everything else, all of which entail tasks for which I have very little training. But I am passionate about the North American West, and all the work is well worth the excuse to read more and to talk to interesting people. At the end of this episode, I will include some more information on me and my scholarship, and on the Red Center, our programming and projects, and funding opportunities that you could apply for. That's right, we may want to give you money. With all this business out of the way, let's move on to today's conversation. First, I'd like to introduce to you who it is we're talking to and why. Tiffany Midge is a citizen of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe and was raised in the Pacific Northwest. She's a former columnist for Indian Country Today and has written for a number of publications such as McSweeney's, Lit Hub, and World Literature Today. She also taught writing and composition at Northwest Indian College. She's the author of the award-winning books The Woman Who Married a Bear, Poems, and Outlaws, Renegades, and Saints, Diary of a Mixed-Up Half-Breed, among others. I wanted to speak with her for the podcast for her voice both as an indigenous woman and for the humor that permeates her writing. Her self-description as a merciless Indian fabulous, a mixed-up half-breed, aspiring to be the first distinguished writer-in-residence at Seattle Space Needle, or voted most likely to be impaled by narwhals, offers a glimpse of her wit and personality. I think you'll enjoy both my conversation with her and her writings, which you should definitely check out. Tiffany Midge, welcome to Writing Westward. Well, thank you so much for having me. In my introduction for the episode today, I spoke a little bit about comedic traditions of, you know, punching up, challenging authority, picking apart or lampooning, some, you know, mainstream society and the things that they insist we accept as, as universal truths, you know. And as I work through your collection, I see all of that, a lot of that. Um, as this is a West, this is a Western podcast, I wanted to circle back kind of often to kind of Western stereotypes and mythologies um, about Native peoples and, and how they're portrayed. And so my two-part question is, I was curious, what were the Western stereotypes about Native peoples that you encountered growing up in popular media or film or art? And, you know, just as Western historians have been picking those mythologies apart, I'm curious which of those you feel most drawn to deconstruct or lampoon or poke at? Sure. Um, I talk about, uh, you know, Bonanza episodes. I talk about the searchers, um, John, who's that guy? John, um, Ford, John Ford, the director, yeah. John Wayne, the actor. Yeah. I haven't had enough coffee this morning. Um, but yeah, I, I sometimes talk about Bonanza and, you know, like I'll, re I'll look at some of those episodes and recently I saw an episode where, like there was a, a guy and he was like kicking this old Indian woman in the butt 
around the campfire and they had kidnapped these Indians and um, and it was really, it was striking to me because, you know, that's what John, in that John Ford movie, The Searchers, that's what John, uh, that's what John Wayne was doing that was just so incredibly shocking and egregious, you know, to see, um, was kicking this old Indian woman in the butt, like, and down a hill or something like that. Um, and I just thought, wow, so that's like imitating something from The Searchers, obviously, Right. Or maybe because butt kicking was just something that every pe people just did back then. I don't know. But it just <laughs> felt like it was just a, a total, you know, mimicking of that or and I of that sort of thing. And I, I was just shocked by that. Um, but also like vaguely bemused. Um, it's sort of a, a two headed, you know, because on the one hand, I'm sort of fascinated by all of these kinds of things. And then on the other hand, it's just really, you know, really sort of infuriating as well, um, because it had so much influence on, on how the overculture perceives, you know, Indians. Um, and that's, and it's very dangerous. And it, it just had a major impact, you know, for generations um, to see this kind of stuff. Because, you know, when my parents were watching Bonanza, you know, or people of my parents' generation, they didn't have the toolkit to like, you know, break that apart um, and say, oh my God, that's just horrifying that, you know, this woman's getting kicked around like that. But, you know, they would look at it and they wouldn't care. They could care less really, right? Um, but I'm just, yeah, I'm rambling at this point. Are there some of these like, th these tropes and stereotypes that like, you know, that, yeah, that you see in Bonanza episodes, are there some that you are particularly kind of riled up by versus other ones that you kind of give a pass to like you say you're somewhat bemused by this or you know I don't know I shouldn't even say that I'm bemused by it because it's sort of like you know collecting you know paraphernalia from you know pre in 20th century pre mid-century you know collectibles um it's that kind of thing you know like if you were to collect like a board game you know from like a Custer last stand board game or some people collect you know figurines from like Africana and I, I have an actual poem about that that I wrote about um these sort of things and you know and they're racist items but I mean at the same time there's just that I don't know I'm just sort of fascinated by it as well um but I, I oughtn't be I should be out destroying these things <laughs> and throwing them into fires but I I you know I have that I have that um you know, I, I that like I said, I'm bemused by it. But um, there's power also in holding these things up and you know making people look at them and think about them. You yeah, know, be it, I, yeah, I be suppose. it through comedy or, or whatever else, you know. Sure, it's just it's like a sense of of, of what am I trying to think? Like they're just um, they're just absurd, um, and so I think that's where I laugh at them because I just find them so absurd. Hmm. Um, but also, you know, I, everything's a two-edged sword, you know, I think it's okay to feel a lot of different things about one thing, <laughs> feel two opposing things about one thing. Well, that's how most of life is, you know, it's never quite so clear-cut. As you were growing up as a kid, how did these types of things hit you in popular media? Or like, did you grow up watching Western movies? Not a ton, okay. no. I mean, I was, I was like into every, what everybody else was watching, the Brady Bunch and stuff mm -hmm. like that. No, well, I mean, this actually kind of le leads perfectly to another line of, of questions I have, which is about, you know, I think many Americans would be surprised to discover that most Native Americans do not live on reservations. Most grow up in urban, suburban settings. You're a citizen of the Standing Rock. Sioux Nation, your mother was Lakota, um, but you grew up in kind of suburban Pacific Northwest, right? I did. And so, I mean, you already said like you were kind of into the Brady Bunch, you were into what all the other kids were into. So like, were you one of the only native kids in your school or in your peer group? Um, we had a few, uh, we probably had a few native kids and I went to um, an after school and uh, group um it was just it was like an organization through the public schools and um so we would get together periodically and do like cultural things um and that was a really interesting thing to grow up with so i i had that sort of exposure 
um, and you know, role models through through that as well. Uh, so much of what you're writing uh, in this collection, and from some of the other things that I've I've looked through, it's all deeply personal. You're writing about yourself, and so I'm just trying to situate, you know, your your kind of upbringing and where you're coming from as you're looking at your own life and also looking at region, looking at, you know, politics and issues of ethnicity and things. One of these through lines kind of, it seems like through a lot of your writing is uh, of your ethnicity and, and your mixed heritage, right? Um, you subtitled, I think it was, was it your first book or one of your first books? The subtitle mm -hmm. was The Diary of a Mixed Up Half-Breed. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of a prominent part of how you think about and write about yourself, right? A long time ago, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, you could say that for sure. In this collection, you, you write, you say, I'm an undeterminable ethnicity, tending to blend in more or less in any particular group. Again, trying to figure out where you're coming from. Do you think that your, at least how others perceive you, this ethnic ambiguity, has that allowed you to be more of an insider in various groups? Or has it kind of made you an outsider? Or maybe it cuts both ways, depending on who you're with. Yeah, I used to have a joke that said that whenever I was around white people, I people would say that she I looked differently. And then when I was around Indians, they would say the opposite, that I looked white. <laughs> That's just sort of a joke, though. Um, so I, whoever you're with, they think you look not like them? Yeah, something like that. Um, it just stands out more. Um, it's just sort of a dumb joke. But um, yeah, um, I was always an outsider. Um and just within any group that I was in, but I wasn't, I don't feel like it was so much because of my, you know, background or my ethnicity or who my family was. I think it had more to do with just my personality, <laughs> um, you know, which just tended to be just, I'm very shy and um, not particularly forthcoming. And I like to sort of blend in the backgrounds, but at the same time, I also have this like sort of necessity for attention. So I don't know. I, I mean, everybody's, you know, a multitude um, of different things, but um, I, I tended to just sort of like, I was, yeah, I wasn't particularly like a popular girl or anything like that. I've heard lots of, in like on comedy podcasts and stuff, but this is, this is actually a familiar story of kids who kind of always felt like an outsider, somewhat shy, but yet somehow drawn to wanting mm -hmm. to be the center of attention and this tension, you know of wanting to not be seen, but also needing to be seen. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and it probably led to, you know, my father was a theater guy. And so it sort of led to, you know, my joining the theater. Um, and, and then that was one way to sort of express, you know, that, you know, that need to perform or that need to be seen or, or you know, what have you. Um, but mostly it was just, I had a lot of different outlets for my creativity um, and I was very expressive in that way and very just sort of artistic, I guess. Um, and that's kind of where my mind was, was just sort of in the, you know, sort of dreamy and spacey land, mm -hmm. <laughs> not really in step with all of my peers, right? Um, I wasn't like an outcast, but I always felt like an outcast a little bit. <laughs> What led you towards writing as 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 a big outlet then for your creativity? It was just one place that I could go that was really convenient. Like I said, for years I did you know theater, and and that was always incredibly fun because it was so social, and I was with misfits, you know, like myself, of course. I mean, other artists are just drawn to other artists, um, you know, because we're we always feel like we're misfits and out of step with what everybody else is telling us we're supposed to be doing. Um, with our lives. So I think that writing was just sort of a natural, a natural progression, a natural way into that. Um, and just the more that I did it, you know, just, I just seemed to have gotten better at it through the years. Um, just one little click at a time. <laughs> one yeah. page at a time. Yeah. Well, maybe we should turn to some of uh, what you write in this book. You opened with a series of memories and scenes surrounding your mother's funeral. And I thought it was a striking opening. It kind of sets a tone for the volume that humor and, and, and sarcasm is really perhaps a core part of who you are, even when grappling with the most tragic of circumstances. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm curious, why did you start with 
with these series of vignettes? I'm not sure. I think that a lot of it just had to do with um, being the title, the title piece of, of the book. Um, and I just thought I'll just stick it up front. <laughs> um, so a lot of it was just sort of a stylistic thing. And I didn't really give it a whole lot of thought. I do know that it's, a, for me personally, it's a strong piece. Um, and so I just wanted to sort of illuminate that. But, you know, as I go on too, there's there's other sort of pieces that allude to family loss, um, you know, like the loss of my father. And, you know, and I write about these things a lot. And um, sometimes I, you know, I sort of, I sort of, I mean, they're natural things to write about, but they're also kind of dark, you know, like, oh, she's writing about the death of this and the death of that. And it's, it's life-changing and incredibly, you know, dramatic and pivotal in one's life. But at the same time, I worry that I'm just writing about dead Indians. Oh, man. Yeah. Like, oh, there she is writing about dead Indians, you know, and I try to avoid that. Right. But I suppose it's unavoidable if these are really important things in one's life. And that's just all symbolic anyway, because I'm not writing about dead Indians. I'm writing about my own family and not, you know, I'm not borrowing off of some, you know, tragedy trope or anything like that, but. Yeah. Or like, you know, like tragedy porn, right. You know, just digging into the most horrific thing there is just for the spectacle of it. Sure. But but I think this speaks to, Again, I think how a lot of mainstream America thinks that natives should be or should not be. That, like, why wouldn't someone write about the passing of their parents? Why wouldn't a human being, like, write about the three, the multi dimensional aspects of their life? Um, where I, yeah. you know, natives, I think, have often been kind of forced to, or at least they've been portrayed as, like, you know, just so one dimensional, right? Like the stoic Indian or, the, the mindless barbarian savage, right? Just these mm-hmm. caricatures. And then we act surprised when they, re- when native peoples or anyone like reveals themselves as, as humans, just like us, complex and mixed up. And mm. sure. And do you have, do you have, um, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say that, you know, representation and um, it, it's very self-conscious um, to be like a particular, you know, sort of kind of writer categorized as a certain kind of sort of writer, um, because it's just, there's so much self-consciousness involved with that at times. And it's hard to release that. Um, for me, you know, like I always have to sort of second guess everything. And I think it takes a really t- long time for a younger native writer to sort of establish, you know, their voice and, and their point of view, because there's so much of that, you know, self-consciousness and like, fear of representation sort of holding them back and I know that it took me absolute years and years and years to sort of be able to break out of that and figure out you know what was an authentic voice for me um and I I just don't think that white writers are are um burdened with that you know they're not worried about their representation (laughs) of their you know of their of their ethnicity their race their background and I, isn't that funny though? That's yeah. just like so unfair and horrible at the same time, right? Um, yep. I try to be upfront about who I'm not. You know, I've written on indigenous topics. So I always want to be upfront, like I, I'm not claiming any kind of indigenous heritage, right? But beyond that, there's no pressure on me to try to really define, yeah, who I am in those kinds of ways. But I, I have a number of of native friends, uh, you know, from conferences and you know, other historians. And one of the topics of conversation that we regularly fall into is this, the kind of the politics of identity, indigeneity, authenticity, that they all have to wrestle with. Mm. And, and I don't. Uh, and it's, it's fraught. It's really complicated. Mm. Yeah, um, it is. It is. I and mean, you say it took you years to kind of build a confidence in, in your voice? Um, yeah, to feel like I, I had something, like a particular voice or something that's like uniquely you that still can, um, that you still feel that sort of passes in a way. I don't know, just this, I think it's just the self-consciousness. Um, and, and I think it's true of any writer starting out, of course, too, you know, it's trying to establish the something authentic and a voice within themselves that isn't just like a carbon copy of someone else that they really like. Um, and it's hard. I think it's really hard for a lot of writers to get there. 
and you know, and I'm I'm not a young writer, <laughs> and I'm still struggling with a lot of that kind of stuff. And I always have to like reread and reread and reread and figure, you know, um, and just and, and be having a unique voice is I think can be very difficult. But I think that you have to deal with a whole bunch of other added pressure of sure uh, of trying to measure up to some imposed form of authenticity or or not yeah. or and representation is, is yeah. really important too yeah because people are re- you know i'm reading you know and, and i i hope other people are reading but i'm reading for that those kinds of um signifiers as well you know there's just there's some writing that, that i just kind of go huh this is a novel about um, you know, a, a native growing up in their, you know, reservation, but they don't know what prairie turnips are, you know, like, and I'm like, oh, okay, so, okay, I get, all right, I, I see, you know, or I'm reading a piece about someone who's, you know, a native person at a powwow, and they, they describe it as something sacred, you know, like going to church, a religious ceremony, and I'm like, Really? <laughs> that hasn't been your powwow experience. I don't yeah. think so. I just hmm. And I'm just yeah, I'm like my mind is just always like notices those kinds of things and it just seems kind of strange and odd to me. But I think a lot of native people are still discovering, you know, their indigeneity or what being native is or you know, all of that. But when I see it, it just kind of goes, dang it, dang, that's just <laughs> do you do you think humor? kind of allows you to cut through some of that and disarm some of that pressure not not sidestep it or uh, avoid you know accountability or anything like that but does it help you kind of cut through well teasing is pretty paramount um to like any sort of you know culture but particularly native culture is you know teasing and you know vine deloria talks about that a lot uh, in his in his essay indian humor um and that's just one aspect of it. Yeah, self-deprecation, right? Self-deprecation and just teasing other people this as a form of correction, you know, without without like bringing too much shame upon them. Um, and I think it's great. I think it's really terrific to to know how to tease your friends, um, and just yeah, bring people down a peg so that they don't get too big-headed. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, in so doing, at least in your writing, you're also bringing yourself down at just as many pegs right i mean it, it, it's you're 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 very tongue in cheek and cynical and sarcastic as you you know lob these bombs at other people around you but also at yourself you know uh, yeah. and that's and that's why it comes off i think as as authentic and not mean spirited right because it's it's the teasing but measured with self deprecation and and humility yeah, um, yeah. i think like i have one friend who um him and his brother had this running gag for a while where they would um, call each other and leave each other voicemails, quoting Star Wars lines, but in the voice of their um, native uncle who had a kind of really thick, kind of stereotypical uh, like native cadence uh, of talking. And so they would, they would leave each other voicemails, you know, as Darth Vader or whatever, but as channeled through their native uncle, and they thought it was just, oh, yeah. they thought it was the great, the funniest thing, right? And it 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 was it was very funny, but then I had to pause because I felt uncomfortable. Can I laugh at this? Um, <laughs> uh, because I'm I'm from an outside group, right? So it's not me. Then they are laughing at themselves and teasing each other through it, right? But even I remember he said once he's like, I hope these. Uh, this audio better never get leaked or I'm going to be in big trouble. Cause he even had some, oh, really? some self-consciousness <laughs> like, oh, has this gone too far? Um, <laughs> so, so how do you find that balance of wanting to lampoon things and tease and make light of sometimes very serious things, but without, I don't even know what the line would be I called. Know, it's just, yeah. I mean, and there's always a line. I mean, last night I tweeted about, um, you know, every time, like I was looking for butter at the store the other day and, you know, there's all the Land of Lakes butters that are just empty, right? And I, so every time I see that, I'm just like, oh my God, you know, where did Mia go? 
Um, and, you know, and that always, that brings you to like murder and missing indigenous women. And so, you know, I, and it's hard that you can't joke about that. <laughs> I mean, it's horrible. It, it's, it happens in communities and it's really hurtful for people. Um, and yeah, and so that's kind of sort of like a, a very inappropriate and edgy joke. Um, and, but at the same time, you know, I still feel like I have to I have to like make light of things, can't I? <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, and that's not funny, but sometimes, I don't know, sometimes just being inappropriate in and of itself is funny. Um, <laughs> but, but I think it's also what, I, my native friends are quite consistently the most sarcastic people I know. I think it's, yeah. I think it's an important coping mechanism for communities, right? being able to laugh and being able to be irreverent that's yeah. that's survival uh in the past and today you know but especially yeah. for i think especially i think for groups outside of the mainstream who are facing different kinds of oppression you know well morbid humor um has been around for a real long time um and that's just a part of it you know sort of the the black humor and um, in any country, that stuff can get pretty daggum rugged. Um, but I think that it can get <laughs> rugged in any community that has a sense of humor. Um, it's just the nature of being human. Yeah. Um, it's just like laughing and, you know, in the side of darkness. Um, it's just one of those things. I mean, I remember just sitting on the my grandfather's porch with my sisters and we were laughing during his funeral and not during the funeral, but I mean, but like during the reception with all these people in the house and it's just a, re a release of tension really. Um, but you know, it was, it was, it was horrible <laughs> that we were just like finding so much funniness in it. And my mother was making jokes about his last breaths, you know, um, and everybody's just like straining to like, look over the person in front of them to like, see his life. And it, it was just so freaking funny that we were laughing at that stuff. Um, and now this sounds horrible, so I should just shut up. But that's awful. that's that's being that's being human, right? Why, <laughs> why would it be any other way? Like I think about some students uh, a couple of years ago. We watched a clip from Little Big Man with Chief Dan George, uh, yeah. and he is he's hilarious. Mm -hmm. He's so he's so funny in that film, and. So I talked to the students saying like, you know, people talk about this performance as like this real important moment in Native, for Native uh, portrayal in cinema, but um, we wouldn't be commenting on this at all if he was just a white character being funny in the ways he is. We were talking about it because, um, you know, Natives have been denied the ability to, to laugh in films and to be funny and to be just human, right? And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when my grandfather died, we definitely weren't laughing at the funeral, but, um, you know, but those few days after the funeral, like seeing, being with my cousins, we we're gathering for a very sad moment, but we had so much fun together. We were laughing and goofing around. And I think that's how humans react to tragedy often. And, you know, why wouldn't native people do that as well? I don't know. But I think, but I think people expect like the stoic Indian, right? That, is going to take death very seriously and not do what everyone else does. Um, yeah. You mentioned Twitter and you have a really great chapter. I don't know. Do we call these chapters? I don't know what they're what, called. Pieces? Tweets? Oh, no, uh, no, in the book. Essays. <laughs> yeah, essays. You have one called Tweets as Assigned Texts for a Native American Studies course. Yeah. I thought I thought some of these were really great. And I wanted to share a couple. And then I wanted to get your maybe your commentary on a couple. I like this one on environment and land. White people, the original man spreaders, <laughs> man spreading the North American continent since 1492. That's pretty great. Um, settlers, you, you, got, you got that? I had people that didn't get that. Didn't know <laughs> no, I mean, if you've ridden the subway or public transportation, you know about man spreaders, right? If, you, or if you're <laughs> on social media, you know what it is. <laughs> yeah. Mansplainers as well, right? Right. <laughs> um, settlers put the colon in colonialism. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Um, yeah. Let me have. Oh, what was this other one that? Uh, maybe you can read this one, and then 
and I'd like to know if you've ever actually said this to anyone, on racism and social justice, your Game of Thrones reference here, do you want to read that? Resolve to say, you know, nothing Jon Snow whenever someone with white privilege condescends to me. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever pulled that out? Have I ever said that? Uh-huh. Uh-uh. No. <laughs> <laughs> no way in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'd, I'd be curious to see how that, how that would go over. How, how so you're a funny person. You're, uh, you're known as a writer who, you know, you, you do poetry and you do a lot of writing, but humor is kind of, uh, not to go back to butter, but your bread and butter. You also have a great joke about white bread in here which had me laughing the other day. Um, we, I don't know if we'll get to that, but bread and butter to come full circle. But you, um, you, do you use humor uh, in your everyday life as, so like a lot of what you're doing here, right? And like this essay or some of these others is you're, you're really skewering kind of mainstream white culture in various ways. Do you do that in your everyday life as well? Only if it comes up. <laughs> Or do you keep these things just to yourself in your head? Well, I mean, going to the butter aisle. I mean, it just it just stuff like that comes up and in everyday society, you know, in everyday situations, that stuff comes up. Um, is always a reminder of certain aspects. Um, you know, because you're living within, you know, a, you're living within a certain kind of culture and then you have another, you know, I, I don't I don't like to say walking in two worlds, but I mean, that's sort of essentially it's sort of like walking in two different consciousnesses um, rather than two worlds mm -hmm. in a way. Um, but, you know, it goes, to, it's on the other side of the coin too, right? You know, if I go to the reservation and I and I see outside of the, you know, one of the main one of the main areas um, at the at the reservation, you know, like everybody has these giant SUV trucks, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm always like a little, and I know I live in the West and everything, but it's just, and everybody has giant SUV trucks, but I always thought it was kind of funny because we're supposed to be the, you know, the premier environmentalists. <laughs> yeah, like my sister drives, you know, like a Dodge Dakota, you know, this like big old giant truck, called <laughs> the Dakota, and it's like. Oh, I, I didn't even get that. I thought right. I was just thinking about it as a large truck, but the name. Oh, I mean, that's boy. one aspect of it. Um, but, you know, having Indians driving these giant gas hogs um, is always just sort of like, wow, that's okay. And <laughs> um, my car is only a medium gas hog, but I hardly even <laughs> drive anywhere. So, yeah, at least like, not for this last year, right? Um, well, no, but I don't <laughs> live in the city anymore. So it's not like. I, I just, you know, drive from here to, I don't drive anywhere because we live out West, you know, everything, every, everything's wide open. We don't have massive urban sprawl um, in where I live. And I suppose you live in Nebraska somewhere or don't you? I'm in, U I'm in Utah. I went to grad school in Nebraska though. Oh, okay. So I don't know what your city environment's like, but. I'm in the middle of suburbia, you know, on the Wasatch front. I don't miss um, the, the driving aspect of having to go from place to place to place in traffic, yeah. um, you know, and that I spent so much of my life doing. Like how uh, much of your life have you spent sitting at red lights? Yeah. Just... <laughs> I mean, just driving here to across town, it's like four red, four, maybe three or four red lights. And that feels like, you know, like an eternity. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have to go to the outside of town. <laughs> and it takes, you know, like all of five minutes. Yeah. Right? <laughs> my, my wife grew up in Phoenix, which is, you know, just uh, suburban sprawl for yeah, I was and, just there recently. Oh my God. And so her sense of scale of like, oh, yeah, let's go to this one store or restaurant. And, so you jump on an interstate and you transfer to another one and, you know, you end up driving so far. Right. But then for a couple of years when we lived in Nebraska, we lived in a very small, small town in Nebraska. And it, we laugh, we laugh now at how quickly our sense of scale changed because yeah, we would complain about like, Oh, I don't want to go all the way to the public library. It was like a three minute <laughs> drive, you know, but then we go down to visit family in Phoenix and we're willing to drive 30 minutes to go, you know, to a Nordstrom or something. <laughs> Well, I don't, I, I, I like to go to Nordstrom's and I ha, I don't get to do that for, uh, very often, um, uh, even before, you know, the before times, um, I don't get to do that very often. So it's, it's always a real treat to do that. And I always feel like such a country hick when I like go to a giant shopping box mall or something like, oh my gosh, look at all the things. Um, well, like, yeah. you know, 
when we well, another thing we actually something we have in common like we uh, i'm from bellingham washington and you lived there for a couple oh, years and mm-hmm. you know when whenever we go up there my wife she's always like oh these are my people because people just walk around looking normal she says like uh, they have jeans or maybe even mean? some sweatpants <laughs> just they just like look very normal but down in phoenix or here when you go to the mall like everyone's just like totally dressed up all fancy and She's like, no, this "This isn't my vibe. She's like, I prefer that Pacific Northwest vibe. I didn't know that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, the fleece jackets and the jeans and the big old booty things. Like everybody's going to go climb a mountain later. Oh, yeah, everyone's decked out in all of their outdoor gear. Probably are going to go climb a mountain later. (laughs) Maybe some are, yeah. (laughs) Um, I wanted to um, pivot a little bit. I want to see if I can get this to work i want to share a video clip which podcast okay. listeners you'll just hear the audio of this but you could go on youtube and um, look this up yourself but i think we okay. can we'll be able to get the audio to work here um this is from a a cbc a canadian um sketch comedy group tall boys are you familiar with them tiffany no huh so it's these four um canadian comedians um one is uh, black, one is, I think, an Ethiopian, from an Ethiopian immigrant community. One's Asian American and one is First Nations. Uh, his name's Vance uh, Benzo, he's um, Ojibwe. And they just kind of, they lampoon all kinds of everything Canadian, uh, but also a lot of kind of uh, the racial politics in Canada. And I wanted to get your take on this. And this is like maybe maybe a minute and a half clip, but it's a uh, a fake game show. So I'll set this up for people who are just listening. Um, it's a fake game show where this uh, indigenous uh, game show host uh, played by Vance is out on the street interviewing people uh, on, a, on a show called, um, on a show about like how, how well do you know Canada? And the specific game they're playing this day is indigenous Canadian or Canadian penny. And he's gonna ask this white guy a bunch of questions and he asked the white guy has to determine if he's talking about an indigenous Canadian or a Canadian penny. And I wanted to get your take on this as, I mean, the joke that they're making, well, there's a lot of jokes, is how uncomfortable this white guy on the street is because he, he doesn't know what to do. Uh, he doesn't know what to say because he doesn't want to say the wrong thing. Um, and and I, I get a lot of that vibe from your book. I feel like if I was to hand your book to a lot of my friends and family, they would feel deeply uncomfortable about what do I do with this humor? Um, or, oh. you, you know what I mean? Okay, so anyways, let me click play on this and um, we'll get your take. Well, today we are gonna be playing Indigenous Canadian or Canadian Penny. Okay. You get four clues. And you're gonna guess whether I'm talking about Indigenous Canadian or Canadian penny. Pretty simple. All right, clue number one. They are known to be reddish brown in color. Uh, oh, um, I, I, I'm not sure if I want it. Clue number two. This is something they might say. The Canadian government has been trying to get rid of me for years. Uh, oh jeez. Um, <laughs> That could, that could be both. All right, get ready for that third clue. Upon birth, they are marked with the queen's image. Okay. Okay, I think I got this one. <laughs> Last clue. Is this something an indigenous Canadian would say or something a Canadian penny would say? I am a penny. Penny, it's penny. In the hands of settlers and invaders. Oh, I am sorry, Connor. I was using poetic license. Uh, Damn it. Team McGuesh for playing, Connor. What a pleasure it has been. Wait, indigenous people are not marked at birth. Guess I lied to you. Do we know (laughs) anyone else who's been lied to? Doesn't feel too good, does it, Connor? All right, join us next time where we will be playing What Should You Call Me? Indigenous, First Nations, Vance? The answer will surprise you. <laughs> okay. Um... <laughs> that guy is so adorable. 
So what, yeah, he's he's so profoundly uncomfortable and wants to say the right thing and uh yeah. What's what's yeah, your relationship what's your relationship with this, with the discomfort of non-native peoples with with native politics or humor or whatever it is? Oh, I mean it's natural. They don't know what to look at. They don't know what's funny. They don't get the joke. So that's that's pretty normal. You know, but it can be a hindrance. Um, uh, the guy that organizes um, Litquake in San Francisco, that big book fair, he brought my book to, you know, his board members and they were, you know, like, whoa, like what? Very my, that's ugh. like, it's just sort of very, um, um, whatever that word is for <laughs> this, it's very profane, right? It sounds very profane, particularly if it's like written, they didn't know it was written by a, a, a Lakota person. Um, and that gives me a certain, you know, <laughs> certain permission to be able to use it, I guess, um, or just to make that into something profane, I guess. Um, but yeah, so they were uncomfortable with it initially, um, but I think that he must have convinced them <laughs> otherwise. Uh, so in, in that regard, but you know, it's funny. I've gotten a lot of white folks that just that love it. Um, a lot of white folks are 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 on board, on board with it. And I think it's because there's just so much inside stuff in that. Um, and there's, you know, and they they feel sort of like, oh, this is like an insider's view of a certain kind of culture. Um, and these, and it helps them sort of be acquainted with that. A little bit and get to know that you know because as vine said the best way to know a you know culture is to know what makes them laugh um and so anyone who who are you know looks for humor and, and likes to watch you know humorous stuff that they would be like totally open to that and you've invited them in in a way oh have i i'm not sure but yeah i guess i have <laughs> no but i mean but you know <laughs> as we read your book you know we, we get this insider view and we're invited to to, to laugh as well right uh-huh. Yeah, I hope so. You spent a lot of time in the book talking about pretendians, which I never know how to spell when I'm trying to write that out, or faux Indians, <laughs> you know, these th these people who, and there's just... DIY Indian. <laughs> DIY. Yeah. Do you, how many, do you have like a list of, uh, of phrases for them? <laughs> <laughs> I should. DIY. Should. I haven't heard that before. Um, well, it's, I'm in it. <laughs> but on, on this you write as a potential tweet for a syllabus on pretendians or maybe hey why don't you read this one this is on page 53 the one about the hunger games 53 on pretendians oh the hunger game one yeah in a future version of the hunger games if natives are all rounded up will andrea smith volunteer like katniss as tribute to save my life I mean, Do you want to tell us who Andrea litmus. Smith is for people who may not know? That's the real litmus test there. Um, Andrea Smith, um, she was a, an academic um, in Indian studies, and she was really popular, and she had books that people referred to and taught, and everyone just thought she was um, a really remarkable genius. Uh, a Cherokee, but it turns out she's actually not Cherokee. So she was sort of, you know, uh, canceled as you will <laughs> um and uh i didn't i didn't know her i didn't work with her i never even read any of her books because i'm not an academic but um that was just that was who she, that's who she is and that was you could just uh say anybody's name in in light of that basically um but that would just be the litmus test although some people argued that they would actually um tribute their own lives um is there that uh they're, they're that dedicated um, to sacrificing themselves, but they're not, so it's just okay. You seem to um, save yeah. a lot of your sharpest barbs for pretendians. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> what, 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 why is it that that really gets under your skin so much? Well, it gets under a lot of people's skin, um, but um, yeah, it's just it's just a massive, complicated. Um, a phenomena um, of native of native uh, culture, and it's been going on forever too, um, since the beginning. <laughs> um, just the the you know wanting all of the wanting all of the well, 
don't really, I'm not really composed very well on this, on this subject. I always feel a little uncomfortable talking about um, pretendians. Um, more comfortable writing really about it than talking about it? Oh, for sure. I'm always more comfortable <laughs> writing than talking, um, which is another reason why I write, because um, everything's perfect and composed. And I can think about it over a space of days, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Um, let's, yeah. So ask me something else. Or about maybe what, what, what's like the power of humor and sarcasm in, in combating this or kind of tearing oh, this down yeah tearing down rachel dolezal oh boy um, yeah uh, do, do you want to kind of share how you use rachel dolezal kind of as this foil uh to kind of bounce this whole issue off of do you have a whole chapter? because it, it exploded around the world and everybody saw it i mean if you are on social media or if you watch television she, she was everywhere and people were completely unglued by it. they were just shocked right it was just the biggest news story um and it just was such a it, it was kind of like it would it was difficult to see that explode so much because people didn't quite understand that that's been happening for generations and generations and generations with with Indian people um and no one bats an eyelash <laughs> yeah um and you know there's no one going down in in flames i mean there are you know periodically every you know every six months or seems like every year or two there's a pretending cnn's not talking about it right it's not hitting the international nobody's making you know documentaries about ward churchill oh boy Um, yeah and nobody's making a documentary about andrea smith or you know i mean and even elizabeth i mean elizabeth was like the senator Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Elizabeth Warren. I mean, that was pretty big news, you know, because President Trump can shut up about it. But <laughs> and that had, you know, very negative impact actually on Indian people. Um, every time he would, you know, use that, you know, that um, I don't know what bad word thing. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that was the first that a lot of Americans really thought about this. That was probably yeah. for a lot of people their first exposure to. To this issue. Sure, sure. It's a great, you know, get a great context though for it because everybody can. They're assuredly they know they have heard of that. They know of that. They've probably seen that in the news a lot. And um, you know, race shifting basically is is you know another name for that. Um, we don't believe in. I don't believe in the idea of trans race. You know, putting that on sort sort of equal with like people who are trans. Um, that does not work. That is for me not not any any way equivalent. Um, but I feel like I'm Irish. Like I feel <laughs> like that's who I am, even though I'm not. You know. Are you? <laughs> Are you? <laughs> no, actually, I, I don't. Okay. I, I'm not, I'm just. I just. That was just the first ethnicity that came to mind. But, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Th- like transgender issues versus trans, racial really, issues. I don't know. If yeah. Oh right, <laughs> and I don't. I don't know if anybody's going to run you out of town for for feeling like that. Because I know people that are like a sixteenth Irish, and they completely identify with you know being Irish. You know, even though they're American, and you know, but uh, they, it's just such a it's a it's a terrific ethnicity. It's a terrific background. You know, <laughs> well, I've noticed this recently. Yeah, with, there's all these you know DNA. Like I'm adopted, so I you know I I sent my spit into Ancestry DNA. And you know, wow. I, was, I, was, I was curious. You know, like, what am I? And it, it turns out I'm I'm white, very very white. Um, but what does um, that mean? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm some, come back and say white. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like you know, it's like British Isles, Scandinavia, Germany. Nothing, nothing exotic. Uh-huh. Who would who would have guessed by looking at me? Northern but European. but what's been interesting European. is yeah. a lot of people have, <laughs> you know, th- their tests come back and it says, yeah, like there's some trace uh-huh. of of some minority group that they hadn't assumed or an indigenous sure. region. And some people sure. then yeah. really grab onto that. Or up in Canada, there's these ongoing issues with Métis, like Eastern Métis peoples, you know, coming out of the woodwork yeah. and, uh, you know, cause they found out yeah, that you know, their really great, 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 you know, uncle or someone was Métis and it's, oh, right. it's now yeah. a core part of their identity. Um, which like, I'm not gonna, like I'm not in a position to really police or judge any of this stuff maybe no one's i don't know who's in 
the position to police these boundaries, but it's fascinating. Or just on Facebook the other day, and I don't know what I had been typing in that made this become the ads that I started seeing on Facebook. <laughs> it, was an, it was another one of these DNA test things, but as all of, it had like these little cartoony icons, like find out if you're um, a pastoral, you are a pastoralist from the Asian steppe or um, oh. an ind indigenous mind. And it listed, it had like five or six little kind of cartoony images, but yeah. all of them were kind of about discovering your, I guess what we might call like your, your more like indigenous roots. And uh, I thought it was fascinating. Maybe it's because I type in stuff about native peoples. And so Facebook started sending me that, but that this has some value for people apparently, right? Yeah, it's the new past life regression therapy. <laughs> yeah, discovering that you came, you know, yeah, that you were and a nomadic herder in, in the Ural yeah. Mountains. In a previous life. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, you know, I think that uh, that's kind of exploitive um, of those companies to, you know, but they, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're jumping on the, you know, that, that need nowadays to like not be white. <laughs> I mean, there's just like, oh my gosh, I'm white. I, I feel, oh no, I'm horrible. <laughs> um, and just getting all those kinds of messages, you know, around town, we had some people putting up posters for it's okay to be white. Um, and, uh, <laughs> there's just the, all this backlash against, yeah. you know, people. so, I mean, if you can claim that through a genetic, you know, thing that you did have some, you know, some sort of ethnic thing in your past, <sighs> but and it does, makes we, it everyone, that's everyone. And that's why it's so meaningless, you know, unless you yeah. were, I mean, so going back to Elizabeth Warren, you know, one of the more insightful comments, I think it was Kim Tallbear who said, you know, about claiming indigeneity and belonging, she's like, it doesn't matter what community you claim, what matters is what community claims you, right? So if mm -hmm. I found out my DNA that, oh my goodness, I'm, you know, 132nd this or that, if, if I wasn't raised mm -hmm. in that community and that community doesn't recognize or claim me as their own, then what does that 132nd mean? Like, I'm still, I was raised as a white kid in Northwest Washington and DNA is not gonna change mm -hmm. that, right? Mm -hmm. I yeah know. i think those things are ever shifting it's just like it's yeah those are like all of those sorts of things they're just ever shifting and full of contradictions so it's there's really no one way to pinpoint that down yeah. although i mean yeah for sure that's the ongoing discourse that whoever claims you um you know but for somebody even somebody like me that you know i i didn't grow up on the reservation you know, um, I'm not familiar um, with a lot of people that even live on that reservation. My mom didn't even grow up there. You know, she was just born there. Um, so, you know, that wouldn't even stick for me because I don't think anybody from Standing Rock even knows me, <laughs> quite honestly. So um, I'm in Wikipedia, though. So <laughs> uh, It's official then. That's <laughs> it's official. The Wikipedia gods have spoken. Yeah. So, I mean, in that sense, I, yeah, I am, um, I don't, I don't feel like I fit that criteria necessarily, although I'm on roles, right. Um, my person is on roles um, and, but they know my family. So, I mean, I think that's, you know, they know my family, but that's so true. You know, it is a diaspora, you know, native people that, you know, are all living in cities and so, so forth. That's just the nature of, of, uh, of, this, of today. Um, yeah, but it's, uh, ever changing and, and ever, ever complicated for sure. Yeah. On page 135, you, um, you give us a little checklist. Uh, I think you're riffing here on Jeff Foxworthy. Like you might be a redneck. Is that the, Oh yeah, yeah <laughs> is, that, sure. is that the joke here? You might be a pretendian if. Sure. That was the general idea. <laughs> Can you want to scan through and like read us a couple of these that, and then maybe we can, you can give us some commentary on them, like why these tickle you so? Well, the obvious one is you might be a pretendian if you write high cheekbones as proof of tribal citizenship when applying for a job. I mean, that was made famous by, you know, Warren, Elizabeth Warren, but everybody's been saying that for like, you know, decades, you know, generations, you know, high cheekbones. Oh, look at those cheekbones. Um, 
but that's just topical to the thing. Um, yeah, uh, da, 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 da. I don't know. Um, you might be a pretendian um, if you carry war paint in your purse. I don't know. Um, it's some of these. Yeah, you might be a like pretendian if you're in need of a dream catcher intervention. Yeah, that's sort of spoofs on like the whole two case intervention. Um, that was a skit that I saw once on the internet. Um, if you have a you know a wolf as a pet, um, we all know those kind of folks. Um, yeah, as Disney Pocahontas is your role model. I have a lot of role model people in here. Mm -hmm. um, well, uh, I don't know. Um, the tanning, you might be a pretending if you've had a tanning bed <laughs> membership since 1992 and, and buy self-tanning lotion by the case. Um, some of these are just sort of adorable about... Um, if you might be pretending if you find your car at the mall's parking lot by following your trail of turquoise and, and abalone, which I thought was adorable. <laughs> <laughs> if you cried during the movie Avatar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Star Wars joke. You might be pretending if your star quilt was bought at Target or has Chewbacca on it. Which I don't know anybody that has a star quilt with Chewbacca on it. <laughs> why that isn't a thing, I don't know. <laughs> you need to make it a thing. That's your million dollar idea. Open an Etsy store and start selling them. Uh, yeah, I need to be making those. Although I did see uh, some, there was a Pacific Northwest native artist who yeah. was doing all those like like Stormtrooper and oh, Star Wars yeah. things, but done as kind of Pacific Northwest art iconography. Yeah. That's pretty cool stuff, right? Yeah. yeah really cool stuff and now star wars is in like different indian languages that's um, right yeah 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 um my friend said that she she was you know walking into the walmart in like gallup new mexico because <laughs> a lot of indians go to the the walmart mm -hmm. um from far far away because they yeah. live in those really you know remote areas and she was walking in the electronics department and she saw all these like Indian kids watching Star Wars and Navajo. Well, they had it playing in Navajo in the store. Yeah. Oh, that's and great. It, I mean, she just said, wow, that's a cultural moment there. Yeah. <laughs> that would be right. Wow. <laughs> I love that. I don't know if, have you watched the Mandalorian series yet? No, I haven't. So it's on Disney plus it's, you know, it's this Star Wars thing, but it's just a straight up spaghetti Western in space. Uh, I mean, speaking of kind of of Western, kind of Western stereotypes and stuff. It, I mean, down to the music. It is. You take a famous Western movie, and all of the tropes and characters and stock characters and stuff, and they're and and storylines, and it's just that, but in space. Um, oh, that's awesome! So yeah, I'm, I'm sure someone's going to be doing a really great article or conference paper on kind of Maybe the, indig the indigenous that. politics of the Mandalorian or something. <laughs> yeah, I should write it. Yeah. I mean, Native Americans have pretty much um, co-opted, you know, that whole show with the baby Yoda. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or well, I'm trying to, remember what his, trying to remember what his name was now. Uh, the baby Yoda? Yeah, it was Grogu. We found out his uh, name was, which seemed like a oh, disappointment. Okay. We still, my kids still call him baby Yoda. We like that better. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I, just, I just absolutely love though how like Native people have adopted him. <laughs> and taking him in yeah. even though he like committed genocide on that whole race of people by eating all of eggs oh that's like, the right last, you know, <laughs> last vestige of a race of people he just like ate all the eggs <laughs> yep, he gobbled them up that was <laughs> so funny ha 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 no. <laughs> this is um anyway i don't yeah i don't know how we got i got us onto star wars somehow i think that's actually the second <laughs> mention of star wars this episode that's that's strange um well we probably need to start wrapping up a little bit um uh, in, in this collection i mean you you lampoon you seem to be which most comedians are i don't know if you consider yourself a comedian but uh we'll say most humorists are i don't know um like you're kind of an equal opportunity offender right like you'll you poke fun wherever you need to poke fun right um uh, be it uh, you know 
kind of the insider teasing of native things um, or your kind of very pointed takes on patriarchy, on kind of mainstream white culture and so forth. Uh, and so I, maybe we could, we could kind of wrap things up. I'm curious, again, as we're thinking about, about the West, um, how do you how do you how do you try to balance this between you know pushing against you know perhaps oppressive white culture on the one hand but while not doing so by romanticizing or white whitewashing the foibles and the things to tease within your own native communities like so how do you kind of balance you know do, doing both well i mean it kind of goes back to that idea of you know, straddling two different worlds, which again, I don't like saying that. <laughs> um, because yeah, but um, it's but I like that I prefer like the idea of just like having two different lenses. Um, and in our multicultural world, you know, we don't have even just two lenses anymore. We have you know multitude of lenses. Um, and I think that's what's so complicated for you know a lot of the right to like you know put on those put on those galoshes right um because all of a sudden they can't see in black and white they have to like view everything in all this multiplicity and it gets very complicated um in how to you know act and behave and around whatever group or say what they can say and what they can't see you know um and it's just funny because you know people of color um have been doing that for as long as they've been alive um, you know, having to navigate all of this various kinds of, you know, cultures and cultures within cultures and subcultures. Um, and that's, yeah, so that becomes very complicated. Um, so I am, we're adept at that um, and just uh, fitting in and, you know, code switching and all that kind of stuff. Um, although I personally don't, I feel like I don't do a whole lot of code switching um, because I'm, you know, I've spent so much time just, you know, in in one place um i don't do a lot of especially now but um i'm rambling again uh <laughs> what is what is how is hu how is humor the avenue to move forward then with all of this oh. all of this mess like what's um, your what's your message for you know yeah for white society and and for native communities like yeah well drew hayden taylor says that humor is the wd-40 um of of uh life i guess <laughs> and you know it just uh disarms um and builds bridges and <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh yeah so i mean it's just one of it's just that a lot you know it's just that that tool um by which people can can live and survive and get along for the most part, I think, I hope, I mean, in any situation, people are going to like, somebody's going to laugh and break the tension. Um, and uh, so that's why we have, you know, jesters in our society, I guess. Yeah. Uh, or just comedians within our society. Um, they're just, they're more than entertainers. Um, and, you know, hats off to them, right? Yeah. Well, uh, what do you have coming up next? What are you working on? What are your next projects that we can watch out for? Uh, I'm supposed to have a book coming out with this really wonderful press in Spokane um, and uh, Scamlands Books. Um, and that's sort of um, a book of humorous, I don't know, poetry, I guess. Um, I say, I guess, because a lot of the pieces sort of, you know, like, like myself, straddles different genres, um, straddling different worlds. Um, and, you keep saying you don't so like that imagery, but you keep using it. <laughs> I know, it's terrible. Um, and I have um, just different projects that I'm working on um, that uh, I'm just like, yeah. So I have another, like a nonfiction, another you know humor book, another nonfiction book. I have a young adult um, book. Um, and I have a book of poetry, um, and then I have a collection of uh, fiction. So yeah, different little little projects. Well, um, we'll point people burner. to your website so they can yeah they can watch there for yeah. for updates. So they can, like look for updates that will never come. 
<laughs> do you not update your website as often as I don't I do. update my website? <laughs> you know, I, I open these things, I forget the passwords. <laughs> yeah, I have the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thanks for spending some time with us and thanks for this book. It was really great. It was so much fun to read. Um, and mm. especially when, you know, so much of what I read is like heavy and dense and uh, you slog <laughs> through stuff. This was just this was a lot of fun. Great. Well, I'm really glad that you liked it. And thank you so much for, for supporting it and supporting me and having me on your show. Yep. My pleasure. Well, take care, Tiffany. Yeah. You take care. Bye. Well, that's it for this month. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll subscribe. Please leave us a review on whatever app or platform you're listening through, or follow us on Facebook at Writing Westward Podcast or Twitter at Writing West, where you can get updates, leave comments, and communicate with me. Writing Westward is a production of the Charles Rudd Center for Western Studies at Brigham Young University. We are an interdisciplinary research center that supports academic research and the promotion of public understanding of the North American West. We host regular public lectures, which we live stream. We have an annual funding cycle with awards, grants, fellowships, in categories that nearly anyone researching and working on the region from nearly any disciplinary approach or towards nearly any kind of final product can apply. Learn more at redcenter.byu.edu. That's R-E-D-D-Center.byu.edu. Our theme music was provided by local Utah composer Micah Dahl Anderson. Find him at Micah, D-A-H-L, Anderson. That's Anderson with an O, dot com. I'll put a link in the episode description. My name is Brendan Rensink. I serve as the podcast host, producer, sound engineer, publicist, just about everything else, so you can direct praise or critique my way. I'm the author and editor of a number of books uh, and other studies on the West, Borderlands, Native Peoples, Genocide Studies, Religion, and the Environment. To contact me about the podcast, my own research, or just about anything else, head to bwrensink.org. That's B-W-R-E-N-S-I-N-K.org. Or follow me on Twitter at Brendan W. Rensink. Until next month, be well, be curious, and be kind. <laughs>